Just hit the button. I'm gonna hit the button. <laughs> What's happening? We're 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 live. We're live. We're we're hitting a new index today. Like a new this is new for us. We're kind of doing a political podcast and this is as political as we're gonna get. Yeah, well. <laughs> I mean I mean, I feel like we should endorse a candidate just to, <laughs> as an aside, maybe at the end. Okay. Hit us up personally if you want. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like to ruffle feathers. I like to sit in my own little base camp quietly. Yeah, that's where Rachel and I differ. I'll ruffle a feather all day long. Yeah. <laughs> I will ruffle chip you right right into some top the tater and see what happens. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we have a very special guest today that we're looking forward to talking with. And uh, you know what? Let's just get right into it. Okay. You are listening to I Can't, I Have Rehearsal, a podcast for the creative visionary. A backstage look at the creative process from the imaginations that bring it to life. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, theater theater family. family. I'm Travis. And I'm Rachel, and welcome to another episode of I Can't, I Have Rehearsal, a podcast for the creative visionary. Don't you just love America? Listen to that. Don't you just feel free? So free. It's such a rough question to ask you and I right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you feel free as a a member of the LGBTQ plus community and me as a black woman? No. (laughs) We're not so free right now, but that's okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to come out the other end of this real nice. Hopefully. Well, you guys, today we are doing kind of a a different sort of episode. We're going to have a lot of the key elements of our typical our typical episodes that we do for you guys, but we're also going to be delving into a new world of local politics. <laughs> Welcome to the Parks and Recreation episode of <laughs> I Can't I Have a <laughs> We love a local office. I am Leslie Nope. You are I'm like an Anne slash April slash mm-hmm. Donna hybrid. Kevin, who are you in that show if you had to identify with the character? The guy with the mustache. Yeah, you are a yeah, Ron Swanson. Yeah, you're a Ron Swanson. <laughs> you're a Ron Swanson. Fun fact, he makes a little cameo in the final episode of The Good Place. Watched it last night. Did he? Mm-hmm. Oh, I in he- in heaven, he's just teaching people how to make chairs. It's really great. <sighs> yep, that's real cool. I love that. So as you guys can... Uh, Probably tell who our guest is today. It's Mr. Kevin Boyles. Better known as Creepy Sam. Creepy Sam. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got a lot of people saying you were better than Pierce Brosnan, and yeah. then that's a high compliment. That is a high compliment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the, when bar, you lay the bar on the floor. I yeah. can get over it. <laughs> Super true. Yeah, like a wheelchair high jumper. Yeah. <laughs> Just cool. <laughs> So if you haven't seen us walking around town, maybe today we did that. I mean, today we did some canvassing. So you might have a, a door hanger that you got from us today. We'll be doing more of that later. Um, but our friend Kevin Boyles is actually running for an open seat on the ISD 181 school board. That is correct. We're very excited for him. And just, to, you know, what, what isn't correct is it's technically not a political. Mm-hmm. No. Right? It's, it's a nonpartisan Correct. The nonpartisan. There's no right, office right. assigned. Yeah. <laughs> Which that's what to they told me chair. when I signed up. And then when you start talking to people, you realize that's sort of that's like, like, you like could dry that out and fertilize your yard with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not endorsing either side of the spectrum today. No. We're really just talking about the school board. But you know what? I did say. I mean, technically, the last time we kind of talked politics, I did say you need to vote leg 2020. <laughs> I mean, people get where we stand. <laughs> 
you're black, I'm gay, together we make a culture. Yeah. People get where we are. Well, and if all goes well in six months, he, he can adopt you. Yeah. Oh, that's very true. That's what can happen. I can. I can, I can be turned away for medical care, but I can adopt you. Just so everybody knows. So if I get a hangnail and need medical attention and the doctor's like, whoa, no. <laughs> but. But aside from that, today I, we're talking about the school board. Yes. So Kevin was in Mamma Mia with us. He made a comeback to the stage after how many years? 30. 30. Three, three zero. As old as I was. Yeah. The yeah. last show I did was in 1989. Oh, yeah. The year we became people. The year people. we became people. Okay, <laughs> this, this show's over. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin doesn't look a day over 37. No. In my opinion. No, I, I, I concur. Yeah. You have a very young looking face. Uh, yeah, well, a couple of just notes. If there are any uh, people in their 40s that are listening, give you a sneak peek. <laughs> There's a secret to looking this good. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. Never walk past a reflective surface naked, first of all. Got it. I mean, I, I try not to do that now yeah. as a 30-year-old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a good good policy in general. And then never do jumping jacks. Because, like, if I do jumping jacks now, and I do, like, 10 jumping jacks, and other parts of my body do, like, 15 jumping jacks, <laughs> even after I've stopped doing jumping jacks. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Yeah. That's me. That's why I don't do calisthenics because I jiggle and I just get so self-conscious anytime I'm in a gym doing anything like that. I'm like, no, I'll lift and, weights. And, and I never really ugh. understood the facelift before now until I look in the mirror and I have like these, these things. I'm like an iguana. I'm starting to get like this. I feel like I should have one of those neck ring things that pops up like in Jurassic Park. Cool. Just like 20 years from now, Kevin's just like on all fours running around a Mexican resort. Just like. Yeah. So I just figure I'm going to wait another five years and just have somebody like grab my face and just stretch it to the back of my head and staple it back. There. <laughs> you can do that with tape. They make those like little sticky tapes that you can like pull yeah. your face I'm, I'm going, I'm going with the, uh, going you with know, the... just age gracefully thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing it. You're doing it well. I'm, I'm doing what I can. You're doing it well. You're doing what I can. <laughs> so since Kevin is a first time guest on the podcast, um, we need to put him through his paces. So he's got to answer our... Bring it. Theater, theater family, family questions. questions. And these are really theater specific, just so... Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll adjust my thought process. Yeah, we want to give... Yeah, we got to put the... Yeah, Kevin was just came back from talking to a bunch of conservatives, so he's got to take that hat off and put a different hat on. Um so we ask everybody these six questions that come on the podcast for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just going to give our listeners a sense of like who you are in our arts community here. So our first question, which is kind of a big one, is what was your inspiration for being a part of community theater? What got you started? Uh, that actually is kind of easy. It was, um, I did what passed for drama in high school in Pillager. We did one school play every year. They were usually, you know, two act plays written by some gay guy named Bob Swanson from Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> um, and, and so we did them every year. And that was, in, you know, in passing, that was decent enough. But then when I, I, I was more of a musician than an actor, right? I, I, I sang in the choir and sure. I played in band, big time in band. And uh, one day, Charlie Johnson, who some of you would know that are listening to this, who was my band director in high school and, of course, does a lot of community theater in Brainerd, uh, approached me. Uh, we were in a bunch of performing groups outside of the school, like uh, Heartland Symphony Orchestra okay. and some other performing groups like that when sure. I was playing saxophone. And then um, they were doing, Bob Dryden was doing 
the King and I at what's now CLC. So they were doing it, and this is probably 1984. Okay. So I'm maybe a junior in high school. And Charlie's like, um, so uh, they're doing this production, and the the uh, my friend Mike, who's a drummer, was in the King and I, and uh, he, he so their their pit orchestra drummer like got sick, got like mononucleosis or something. <laughs> oh jeez! And so they had no drummer, and Charlie's like, "You think you can go play the drums for the King and I?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Makes the King and I just beat a gong like through half the show, and I'm pretty good, right? Well, yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> so, it's, it's just like a it checks the box. Well, yeah. It's Rogers and Hammerstein, so it's like a snare drum. And you're like boom, chick, boom, chick, boom, chick, boom. Chick. Yeah. Like, Shall we dance? <laughs> boom, boom, boom. You know. Um, so that's that was my start. So I got to hang around with all these community theater people. I'm just this little high school kid, and, and in those days it was the pit. So where the you know like the stage is now, yeah. the pit was in the front. Oh, where those two, you know where like the front where... row of seats is in the Chalberg. Yeah, that you open that up, and there's a pit under there. Mm-hmm. I don't oh. know what they use it for now, but I've never seen it open in no, forever it's because just then storage. even yeah. just as little as maybe five years later, when I was playing in orchestras, we usually built a platform, and they were backstage. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. up on a raised platform, like we did Gypsy and some other shows. So initially, I was really more involved musically, and then Pequot, I played for, uh, in the pit orchestra for Little Abner. I played in the pit orchestra for Guys and Dolls. And then uh, started going to school at BCC CLC. And um, at that time, um, I was doing choir and I was still playing in all these musical groups. And I was working at a radio station at night, overnight. And I started taking uh, one of Joe Plutt's drama classes. And, um, and then um, everybody that I was starting to hang around with uh, ran around with Bob May, who succeeded Bob Dryden as the, you know, main director of all of the theater productions at the college. Mm-hmm. And then Patrick basically came in and took over for Bob, yep. as I understand it. Oh, Dennis was in the middle there. Dennis is in the middle. Yeah, so Dennis was there when I was there, but Dennis was like the technical director and and, and Bob was like the director director. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then Dennis took over when Bob left to go to graduate school and whatever. So long story short, too late. Um, uh, <laughs> I was taking these classes. So I got to know these people and they were doing shows. And then... Um, the summer production that year, so this is the summer of 1988, was The Sound of Music. And so this guy that I was in choir with um, was like, we should audition for that. And I'm like, okay. So we auditioned for it. <clears throat> and I got the role of Rolf. Okay. <laughs> and my friend Dave, uh, he got the, he was Captain Von Trapp. Oh. So then I find out, I meet this, uh, they're like, oh, okay, well, here's Liesl. So Liesl walks in, and of course, it's our, our, our dear friend, Amy Borish. Ah, uh, yeah. yes. So I, I, I knew Amy a little bit. Like, we didn't know each other well. Like, um, we had a little bit of mall warfare. So she knew my friend Mike really well. And we both worked, Mike and I both worked at the Kinney Shoe Store, which um, was right across from where Trade Home Shoes is in the mall now. Okay. Amy worked at Trade Home Shoes. So we we've always felt superior, so we would always mock Amy at Trade Home Shoes. So that's kind of how we knew each other. Just a quaint acquaintance. So that's kind of a long story. And then from there, I, I sort of went, you know, like I am prone to do, um, once I get involved in something, I tend to get over-involved in something. So then I became kind of like Dennis's bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing the lighting and set set building, and then I stage managed the Geritol Frolics for a little while, um, and then I was doing all, all that stuff, but I really wasn't on stage very much. I did Sound of Music, and then that following fall, the Children's Theater production was the musical version of Jack and the Beanstalk. 
Mm. And I was Are Jack. The musical version of Jack and the Beanstalk. Well, it's being generous, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the good news was there was no dancing in it to speak of. Right uh, up your alley. Kevin's favorite. <laughs> I just got to stand there. Just had to do great. jazz hands pretty much. And <laughs> pantomime climbing a beanstalk. And just, I'm pretty just good. Just a lot of Get this. <laughs> and then in that production, um, Amy played my mother, which was a little awkward because we had been dating a little bit before that. Um, and we were not dating at that time, so that was interesting. And then um, my, my present wife <laughs> was the golden harp. The present wife. Well, we, we were just, yeah. <laughs> just, just keeping the options open. <laughs> so that's the intro. And then I was involved in probably about 20 productions over the next, like, three years. And then, wow. and then um, Kelly and I got married, and... Uh, I got transferred to Fargo, and then I never had another chance to do it again because I kind of got started traveling for work and right. bounced around the country. And then last year, when we decided we were going to move back up here, I was like talking and like, might as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Same thing with the school board, really. It's like, okay, now I'm here. I have the time to do it. And again, you guys have known me now for a while. I mean, if I'm going to do something, I. Yeah, usually whole ham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't half ass anything. No, both feet right in the pool. Yeah. Yep. And, 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 you know, gets me in a little trouble sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly's at the end of the table just, just giving looks, just serving looks. We love it. We get a little good look serve. As we look at my Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you guys, should, I mean, it, just to paint you a picture, we're, we're on location today. Yeah. We're not in my Dana Liva Kitchen studio right now. <laughs> we. <laughs> We're actually in somebody else's home. We took everything with us to like record. Because now we on can. Because we can. We we mobile. <laughs> um, so you you've done, you know, you said like twenty some. You were involved in twenty some productions over the course of three years. Yeah. So Rachel, take some. What 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 what, what do you think? Like, what was your favorite role? And this can be like on or off stage because, like you said, you you did a plethora. You you've done a plethora of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean I mean to quote you directly, you were Dennis's, Dennis's bitch. bitch. So like <laughs> <laughs> What what do you think would be your favorite thing you did? Favorite thing I did. My yeah. I actually the favorite thing that I did was building lighting cues. I really, really enjoyed that. I, I didn't understand the art behind it. So we would go up into the catwalks and you would hang the lights and put on the gels. It was a little uh, lower tech than it is today. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you would hook it all into the computer and then you need two people, one person to go down there and then you would spec everything out, feed it into the computer. And then in those days it was like pre windows. Um, I can't, imagine you know, so it was like, like, it was like DOS. So it was all these little bars and then you had to have somebody sit there in the, in the booth and hit the space bar. So everything had to be a little more, a little tighter than it is now. So I really enjoyed that part as far as the tech stuff. I, I also like stage managing and I always, uh, tell people, I, I tell them I credit them. I credit that with a lot of my ability to manage people in my professional life, mm -hmm. especially when I did the Geritol Frolics. If you can somehow keep track of about 45 people over 70. That's impressive. That's, yeah, yeah. that's good stuff. <laughs> you know, because you'd be like, you know, the number starts and they're all wandering in different directions or whatever. And you're yeah. like, <laughs> no, I need yeah. to be over here. Please don't wander off stage. Please don't yeah. fall off the stage. <laughs> and, then, and then I guess for onstage roles, I would say, um, I don't know. I don't know that I have a favorite one. I, mean, I think I enjoyed the Mamma Mia experience probably the most just because it was really laid back and all mm -hmm. I had to do, kind of do to, you know, make the part pass muster 
was just kind of go out and be me, but sing a little more than I usually do in public. Right. And dance less. (laughs) (laughs) That was probably my favorite thing in that show was like Amy was dancing with Kevin and I was dancing with Sharon (laughs) and like we would spin them out and he would spin her towards me and I would spin Sharon out and me and Amy would look at each other and like, uh, and then we come back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I was like, I was going to pay somebody like Sylvie to help me. And then I'm like, you know what? That's, it's like trying to make, you know, a frog into an astronaut. Let's, right. just, let's, just, let's just cut our losses here. Nobody cared. Let's no, be honest. Everybody Nobody ate that up. Cared. Well, it, Amy did take pity on me by basically just falling down most of the nights later on so that nobody would pay attention to my dancing. There you go. Oh, that poor lady. That poor so, yeah, poor lady. so that was a long answer to that question, but I think I, I like all facets of it. Um, you know, I liked, um, but yeah, I, but I would say, being on stage, I don't. It doesn't give me the same adrenaline boost that I think it does people like you too. Yeah, like, I en- I enjoy it for the experience of being on stage with you and creating something, but I'm not really able to interact with the audience the way that I can if I'm singing in a choir or playing in a band or my favorite thing to do, which is to actually get up in front of a room of you know 600 people and speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's you know because now what I can do is I can read the room and I can change what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. on the fly to, yeah. to the room I have complete control I mean there's I, I mean I, I am the fourth wall yeah I don't know I, I've always heard like as somebody who's interviewed a lot recently <laughs> oh yeah for sure um I had a lot of like people comment on the fact that I had theater experience like they were they were impressed with the fact that I was involved with it they they're like so you're comfortable speaking in front of people yes but I don't like to do it yeah, yes, but there's... only if after I do it for ten minutes, I go backstage and change clothes in some other in front of some yeah. other people. Then right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. If we can get the HR department to agree to that, then yeah, I think I'll be I'll, I'll be a good fit here. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is, like, people are like, "Oh, good, so you're comfortable in front of a crowd," and it's like, "Yes, but I know exactly what I need to do because I've rehearsed it for twelve weeks prior to those people showing up." And I'm like... not. I'm, I'm not technically playing myself. Right, I'm not I'm me. I'm playing a character. You're I'm not different. me. Hundred percent. I don't want to be me on stage. <laughs> I do like public speaking, but I am I am out of practice with it because I just do so much. So much theater. Structured speaking, <laughs> acting. You know. <laughs> so, do you think that there would have been like back in the height of when you were doing so many things? Was there a dream role, whether character-wise or like a dream role you would have wanted to play in a show? Yeah. That no, you never got to do, or like maybe it's still There's appropriate two. for you There's to do? That, no, well, no, not, not unless we do that dream of mine, which is do all the classic productions with all people over 50. Oh, sure. Yeah, that could still happen. <laughs> There'd be a lot of people on board for that around yeah, here. Yeah, there would. Godspell, all over 50. Oh. But we're going to slow the tempo down just a little. <laughs> <laughs> like Godspell a lot. Yeah. In fact, we can't do bay day by day because we might lose somebody. It's got to be like hour by hour. We're right, right, right. <laughs> Um, so two roles. One would be Freddie in My Fair Lady. Okay. Okay. Um, I used to use the song On the Street Where You Live as like a vocal competition song. Oh. And it's just, a, it's one of those easy parts when you're a young guy, right? If he's in the musical for like five minutes. He comes yeah. in, la la la, he sings a song and then he goes. And I always thought, that's like the best role in a musical where, you know, and when I, when I signed up for Mamma Mia, it was the same thing. I'm like, Amy's like, oh, you know, whatever. I'm See, like, okay. Really so I come out, I sing with Amy and then I, you know, talk to Sylvie for a little while and then I come out and sing my other song and I'm good. And then we get to the first night with 
Scott and the, you know, because you guys were doing Little Mermaid, but the rest of us, and, 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 and they're like, okay, let's go to Lay All Your Love on Me. I'm like, what? I'm not in that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the part where I'm backstage rubber chickening Amy. Right. right? And, <laughs> and then come to find out I'm singing, you know, 26 songs. And I'm like, that was uh, the thing. It was a small enough cast where if, even if you weren't on stage, you were still singing all the backup parts. Like, Here's the thing. I loved that, though. It was it was a good bonding experience for everybody yeah. just because we all got to do well, so much in the, it. The video will never mean anything to anybody but three of us, but I have that video of you and me and Jesse the one night when we were doing Lay All Your Love on Me because that was yeah. my favorite thing every night was the three of us off on the side because we do the three-part harmony. Yeah. Oh, I mm. want to see that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it sounds horrible on the thing, but... <laughs> But we crushed it every night. Oh yeah, we even did it. Like Amy was like, we were we were getting ready for a show, and somebody Jacob had made fun of something like the harmonies or whatever, and then Kevin was like, "Our harmony is tight in that song. I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> so then we, me, him, and Jesse just lined up, and we just did it in the dressing room. And Amy was like, mm-hmm, "That's tight. That's real tight." She's like, don't question those three. They so, know exactly what they're doing. So as a, as a side part. But if, 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 if it's like, you know, name on the marquee on stage for the whole show, I always would have liked to have been Joseph and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I think oh, sure. Uh, I want to be the narrator in that show. Because if you ever watch the Donny Osmond version, he barely dances, just for the record. Yeah. So if the over 50 thing ever happens, <laughs> you're going to need about six months notice because I think you take your shirt off on that role. So yeah. you don't have to, okay. technically. Fair enough. I mean, we could be, cinch. We could cinch the robe, right? We could just do yeah. like a deep V. Like a deep V. Yeah. <laughs> or, or my spandex. We'll just body break that out. Many colors. Yeah. <laughs> I've still got that. Sharon's trying to make me pay for that. I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. who else is gonna pay that? Like, yeah. Where else you go use that, girl? <laughs> if you want all the fabric back to make something else, because I mean, there's enough there to make something for somebody smaller. I guarantee it. <laughs> but you don't need that back. You don't need that. Okay, we got to know what, in, in your illustrious theater career, what was your most embarrassing moment that you can remember, whether in rehearsal or in a performance? Boy. All right. So. Too many to, too many. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, actually, think, I, I had blocked this Jared. out until just now. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Those are the best kind. So, um... Bob May, who was the director here, and then a kid that um, was really good friends with uh, with all of us. His name was Christopher Tibbetts. Um, and so we, he ran with our little pack, and he actually lived with Kelly and I when we first got married. And um, just a super sweet kid, and, and, you know, we hold him special in our hearts, and he holds us special because when he lived with us, he was, um, wasn't supposed to live until he was past, like, 24. He had, was born without an esophagus, and they had to, like, build one for him. Oh. <clears throat> and he lives down in Minneapolis now, so he's probably 50 now, but... Um, he was gay and um, he, he finally felt comfortable enough to tell me and Kelly came out to us because he felt comfortable enough. So he's always been really grateful that, you know, cause this is, you know, this is 1988, mm-hmm. 1989. It wasn't so easy in Brainerd uh, then. So um, <clears throat> he and Bob wrote a play, a children's theater play called Beanie and the Bamboozling Book Machine. So basically Bob had this idea that um, this kid uh, to cheat on his book reports for school builds a machine to read the books for him. So he takes like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, um, The Wizard of Oz, <clears throat> and well, some other thing with a witch in it. I can't remember what the third one is right now. Mm. And he builds, and he, so he puts the books in the machine, and the machine malfunctions and lets all the witches from the stories loose into the real world. Uh-huh. And so <clears throat> to I'm correct intrigued. it, to correct it, 
um, all these kids from this from Beanie's school have to pose as the characters in the stories and go put the witches back where they belong. And so in that play, in the original production, um, I, it's performed all over the U.S. now in children's theater. And um, I played the principal of the school. Oh. So in one scene, I had to be Prince Charming, and um, I had to kiss this girl that was um, Snow White to cure the poison or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so... Um, she's laying there and she's all like, whatever. And I go up and as I went to kiss her, I sneezed like all over (laughs) and not like, not like one of those little kitten sneezes. (laughs) So we sort of had to mop. (laughs) So so we, we, uh, we didn't get along very well after that. Oh man. Yeah, I've never been sneezed on. That kind of mucused her up a bit. It was bad. Oh, poor girl. Yeah, because it was one of those where, like, you get the, you know, because I didn't close my mouth enough, so you kind of had the the mouth and the nose productions. Oof. So not lots of airflow. Just mucus. You had. Yeah, no, it was like you know you could hear it hit like. (laughs) 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 Oh man, that poor girl. She's still scarred to this day. I promise you she is. <laughs> she can't even look at a box of Kleenex without just weeping. But tell you what, bitch woke up. <laughs> <laughs> I broke that spell. No poison gets through that. I gave that bitch immunity from poison. You're welcome, girl. <sighs> Come on. So if you could gender swap a role, what role would that be? So like if you could, and this is like you have all the abilities, so you don't have to worry about, can I sing it? Could I dance it? Could I act it? It's all there. But if there's a female role that you would want to have and it could be applicable to be be a male, what would you want? I... If I could do it perfectly, I would still do Eponine from Les Miserables. Ooh, Ooh. okay. Wow, he going for the going that's for the throat. Fancy yeah, that's a, that's <laughs> a fancy well, part. Because yeah, um, Kelly, tell you when we go, I've seen that. I've seen productions of that. You know, probably fifteen, sixteen times. And mm-hmm. that's when we walk in. It's always like, are we going to get a good Eponine or a bad Eponine? Yeah. You know what? I can concur with that statement. It's a wild card. I've I mean, if I could be Asian, I guess I would maybe do Kim in Miss Saigon too. Um, but I don't know. That's kind of a, a little heavy, you know, where, Ep- well, actually, Eponine's not real light either now that I think no. about it. I mean, Les Mis ain't a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> she, I mean, she's a little happier than Kim. She a little, I mean, yeah, you get the, you, <laughs> you, 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 you have the tavern owners that lighten things up and, you know, in the middle there. Yeah. yeah Miss Saigon has no such thing. No. no it is, you have a little bit of levity for like one song. It is like, did you come here to cry? Yeah. You ready to, you cry for well, that's a whole other podcast. We can just do a podcast on Amy and me at Miss Saigon. Right? Oh my god! I think I think our audience would love that. We should have bought stock in Kleenex before she went to go see that because I <laughs> guarantee you, prices soared after she saw that show. The cast was concerned about her. <laughs> she tells that story like they all look I at mean, her like girl. The curtain comes up. There's an overture. The curtain comes up. The soldiers come in. The hookers come in. Yeah. There's a little bit of a vignette with the engineer, and then they sing "Movie in My Mind," and Amy is crying so loud that the whole theater can hear her. And oh, I'm like, no. nobody's even died yet. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a hooker. 
You're supposed to be like, ooh, ah, ooh, that's scandalous. Eesh. Not like, oh my God, it's so pretty. Hold on, movie in my mind, though. That, that, that hits. That song slaps a little bit. I, I've i only seen the movie. like The one we watched here? Yeah. Like the yeah. Broadway HD thingy? Yeah, like, the, mm-hmm. like a recorded version of it. And I bawled through the whole thing, so... Well, I don't know if I could handle. Well, I, I I cry through the whole thing too. I just don't do it so loud that they call paramedics, <laughs> right? Or like bring you water because they're afraid you're super dehydrated. <laughs> like I, I love Amy to death, but she cry a lot. She cried a lot of stuff. I'm a quiet crier. I've never been to a movie with her and she hasn't cried. I'm even concerned. I think she might have cried in Cats for just a hot second, even though there was no need for that. I think she cried in Dumb and Dumber when the parakeet died. (laughs) (laughs) We love you, Amy. Oh my God, we do. You're everyone's favorite on this podcast, too. They love it when you come on here. But it's always fun to talk a little smack, too. Good girl. So this is my favorite question that we get to ask as far as like theater family questions. Um, So this Question initially originated from Laura Marsalik, the original co-host mm-hmm. of the podcast. But what blend, if you had to like blend people together, like different celebrities, personalities, things like that, who would you say makes up your acting smoothie? My acting smoothie? Yeah. yeah. Like smoothie. any inspirations you drew from, from yeah. in roles that you did or like oh. people you looked up to? You know, Pierce Brosnan mainly. Oh, God. <laughs> He's on everybody's list. Like, if we had a nickel for every time we've every gotten time that answer. Pierce Brosnan came up. Mm. We wouldn't need a sponsor. No, Pierce Brosnan <laughs> could just sponsor us. Um, you know, in non-musical land, I think, you know, like, the blend is, I always wanted to kind of blend somebody like Michael Keaton. Mm. I know that's not like musical theater, but, no. and he doesn't do theater to speak of, but um, he has kind of a, a funny but cool, I don't know how else to describe it, and then somebody like Kevin Bacon that... You just look like Kevin Bacon, like <laughs> naturally. But like the first time two. I ever saw you, I was like, wow, there is a Kevin Bacon lookalike contest somewhere. And he's going to win it. I think he looks more like Kevin Klein. Mm. Okay. That's a new one. I get Emilio Estevez when I've been eating a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I get that fluffy guy. That's me. Either that or I get, who's the, Who's the guy from Wolf of Wall Street and the guy from Superbad? Oh, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill? Yeah. Yeah, you don't look like him at all. Thank you. I mean, maybe, so <laughs> maybe if we gave you a, like a Jufro wig. Yeah. Oh, God. I couldn't do it. I hate it so much. But the, no, he's got, you know, I, I don't like him anyway. No. Yeah. Too I don't much. know. I've only, the, the, I've only gotten like Carrie Washington and then like Tiana. Like a, 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 an animated character. Well, that's cool. <laughs> I think you look like Sebastian the Crab. Yeah, and you remind me. You remind me of him. Him a titch. Just a titch. Just a titch. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Well, see, Kevin is a huge film buff. Yes. His voodoo has more movies in it than I think any other member who is subscribed to voodoo. <laughs> like, if you need to watch a movie, the catalog is, it's immense. Yes. So, like, it makes sense that there's more film derived inspirations from that yeah i mean like stage actors um male actors i mean like it's you know if all holds bar uh, uh no holds barred like you know in the early years when i was listening to stuff it was you know it was all like the females like you weren't there weren't that many males that you followed so people like patty right. lapone and and uh, um babs and liza yeah you know that kind of stuff i mean there weren't 
you know, you have people like Michael Ball and people like that, but nobody knows who they are now. So I can, right. I can pull all those people out, but you'd be like, who? You know, the guy that played Marius in the original cast of Les Miserables? Be like, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of nerds, yeah. <laughs> so, um, as we said earlier, thank you for answering all those questions too. Yeah. Now it's giving a good feedback to everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I keep forgetting we have buttons for things. What now. are you talking about? That's our studio audience <laughs> clapping for Kevin. Stop. <laughs> don't, pull, don't pull the curtain all the way back. Um, oh. Pay no attention to the podcast behind the curtain. Look at all these people behind the curtain. Look at all these chickens. <laughs> um, so. As we did said earlier, Kevin is running for the open seat on the ISD 181 school board. Um, so we're going to have Kevin talk a little bit about kind of the cornerstones of his campaign and also his take on some of the things that are affected through the school board with the arts community and specifically arts in the schools. Um, so talk about how the arts affected your life personally and what are you taking with you into your campaign um, and if, if elected, going into the school board, how will you take your experiences and use those to further the arts in the schools? Well, I mean, you know, <clears throat> as, a, as a young kid in school, you wanted to be everything, right? So I joined when I was in like second, third, fourth grade, you know, it was like, hey, we, you know, we got basket weaving and trap shooting and, you know, I'm like, I'll do that. <laughs> basket weaving? You know, underwater Cub Scout wrestling, you know, like... Um, so, uh, I, it took me a while to realize I was never going to be an athlete. Same. Um, I was a little on the small side when I was Oh, when I can't was relate. Um, can't relate. <laughs> well, so for example, I did AAU wrestling when I was like in third grade and I would always make the team, right? They had, you know, cause each team, a wrestling team has like 12 guys on it and, it's their their weight classes, mm -hmm. right. right? So you have to between you know there's like the bantam weight and the whatever, and then I was like you know I was like the paperclip weight, right? So because <laughs> there was nobody else in Pillager that could get into that weight class, I was like okay you're awful, but you're the only one, so you can come with us. So I would go to these tournaments, and you millennials will be able to relate to this because I always got a ribbon. Yeah, um, like, love participation trophies. <laughs> Any, any tournament we went to, at best, there were two people in my weight class. So I always finished with a gold or a silver. <laughs> and I never won, <laughs> ever. <laughs> but I had like four gold ribbons and like nine silver ribbons, and I never won a wrestling match in my life. <laughs> so I decided that maybe the arts were for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so the gateway drug there was really playing a saxophone in elementary school. And, um, you know, like so I started you went out and picked the saxophone well, the way they did it, you know, back then, um, it was basically Moses would come to our school and, um, he would, they, what they do is they take you in a room and they had all the instruments in there okay. and then they would pick them up and they would hand them to you and you would say, I'm interested in this or I'm interested in that. But, um, I ended up really with saxophone cause it was the only thing I could make a noise on mm. <laughs> everything else. I mean, I, I don't know why, but when I blew through the drum, it did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. <laughs> I say um, that as a drummer. I was a percussionist. <laughs> so, One of the only girls. <laughs> so that was kind of it. So, I mean, I, I think in an early age, that was kind of my refuge because I was, you know, had some talent. And, um, you know, in, in the early, those early years, there was, there was, you know, you had, 
different things you could do. But then when I got into high school in Pillager in the 80s, the district ran into really some serious financial trouble because the the superintendent and the school board did a really, really bad job of managing the the finances because <clears throat> there was a recession back in the 80s. It's like, you know, we, now we have one every five years, so we're kind of used to it. But that was a big deal. <clears throat> and so the first thing they cut every time something has to be cut in a school system is, you know, I mean, we still got money for the football bus, but, uh, you know, no more band yeah. or no more whatever. Um, so um, I probably have some PTSD and, 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 and a little bit of a bias that I've had to work through because I'm almost biased against sports and I don't really mean to be that way. Um, I think they're on pretty equal footing when it gets mm-hmm. right to, down to it. I mean, I know I'm kind of trying to sound like everything to everybody, but um, in the corporate world, it's funny now when you see kids that played like organized sports, they tend to um, be uh, more capable of um, understanding how to work on a, a, a group, like a team. Mm-hmm. And I think people that have been in bands and choirs have always been able to do that. Theater people are like herding cats. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I did it my way. Shut up and do your job. You know? yeah. <laughs> Here, here's what I've learned about theater people. You can tell what people have mainly been in like, like principal roles and who has worked in the ensemble. Do you know yeah. when like kids run into a room and they're like, mom, watch this. That's- it's like having 40 of those as adults running around as a director being like, okay, yeah, I'll pay attention to you for five minutes. <laughs> like, I get that. I like, feel that hard. Like you've been a stage manager and a director. Like you get, like I, like I've never been on the opposite side. Well, other than costuming. Right. And that is, <laughs> that's infuriating on a, on a whole other level. But like, I, I get it. We're dumb. Yeah. Actors are kind of dumb at uh, times. We're, we're like, but that's why you get involved with the other aspects of it because it gives you an appreciation (laughs) because like, even like Kevin said, like setting the lighting cues, like as an actor, you're told to just stand there and all of a sudden the lights are just like going on and off and on and off. And you're like, it's so annoying. What are they doing back there? Can't they do their jobs? Little do you know, they're actually doing their job. They're trying to, they're trying to do their job. So stop. They're trying to sprinkle fairy dust. Yeah. Yeah. So stop complaining about it. I mean, I will, I mean, if you need me to stand here for two extra hours, you can figure out a lighting cue, a sound cue, whatever. I'm like, I'll do it politely. I I don't, I don't have time to argue with anybody. I'm also really passive aggressive in that aspect too. Mm -hmm. I'll complain about it in private. I'll get in the car and I'll just rant the whole way home. I'm like, that tech rehearsal was four hours longer than it should have been. And it was ridiculous. But now I understand. Yeah, I mean, so since that that was the path that I got put on, I obviously have a soft spot in my heart for the arts, and mm-hmm. um, I wasn't here when the last referendum that passed, where they're just completing now or in the process of completing all these updates to pretty much um, every single facility across the school district right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, at the high school, um, shock of shocks, uh, the the large referendum, you know, option three or whatever it was, was approved, when, and now they're going to have this large. Um, you know, I guess semi state of the art performing arts center in the high school. I don't yeah. think it's going to be done till like March or April. Um, it's the last thing that they're going to do. Yeah. Um, the shell was built, and then there's some um, concerns. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm I'm hopeful that I get on the school board and get seated in January because there are uh, not sure where they're going to find the money to actually run the performing arts center. Like turn the lights on. Yeah. The yeah, they're center. looking for a private donor uh, to buy the naming rights for it. Oh, so it'll be the, yeah. if you donate, it'll be the X I have never donate. wanted to win the lottery so bad in my entire <laughs> life. I said this today, we went to lunch as we were doing canvassing, 
And I said it to Charlie. I was like, I don't care what theater it is. I don't care if it's some redneck high school or something on the West End or whatever. I said, I just want there to be a Travis Chapu auditorium. That is like my ultimate dream. Well, technically, wouldn't it be the Travis Chapu Performing Arts Center? That's even better. What is the acronym? The T-Pack. Like that? <gasps> yeah. Oh, yeah. T-Pack. Oh. <gasps> okay, I got to go win the lottery. <laughs> That's got to happen. The T-Pack. That's bitching. <laughs> and then you could have you could have a theater troupe, and they could be the the, the T-Pack the, players. The, no, it would be the the Travis. So the Travis Chapu Performing Arts Group, or T-Bag. Love that. T would be T-Pag. 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 You say it fast enough, it's still funny. Yeah, yeah. I'm not doing <laughs> okay. Swing and a miss. We'll have, <laughs> we'll have to work on that later. <laughs> we'll have to work on that later. That was a new one on IM. Thank you for your feedback. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that back I'll to work, the writing I'll team. Work, yeah, and yeah. I'll yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I think um, it's a balancing act. And, and it's funny uh, that um, I think a lot of people in the community don't really realize certain elements, um, how a lot of the nonprofit organizations in the area or other outside uh, entities step up and do different things. So there's like, for example... Brainerd has a, a really nice uh, football field. Mm -hmm. And there's still a reasonable number of people out in the community that think that the taxpayers paid for that. But the reality is that the vast no. majority of that was done through like booster money. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what I thought. And so I think that's, you know, I, circling back to kind of some of the things that I want to do on the school board is to create better community outreach so that people, there's better proactive communication about stuff like that. Because what happens is these rumors get started and there's another one like that the the wooden floors in Forest View Middle School are like imported Norwegian wood or something. And you know, maybe it is, but maybe it maybe it's cheaper than stuff you can get from like Florida. I mean, it's pretty. I've been in Forest. Yeah, so I don't I don't really know the ups or downs of that, but I do know, yeah. you know, and, and as we think about that, we I think it's just being mindful of that balancing act. I think sports are valuable. I think all extracurricular activities are valuable. And I think in the high school the one thing I I, I filled out a questionnaire Yesterday for Brainerd Youth Sports, they're looking to endorse a candidate. And they asked a bunch of those kinds of questions. And basically, I'd, you know, I was like, um, the one thing when when our youngest was about to go to high school down in suburban Chicago, we went to the orientation at the high school there. And they had, um, like, it was just like the gym, the gymnasium. And they had all the clubs had booths. It was like mm. a trade show almost. Oh, so you can, so like, all the kids, the high school kids, for the incoming it. freshmen, they were all there, and they had like, I don't know, seventy clubs. They had a club for like plants. They had a club for pets. They had an LGBTQ pride club. Mm -hmm. They had uh, robotics knowledge bowl. They had a stand up improv club. Uh, and I think uh, I'd love to figure out a way for the district to drive more of that. So you know, because I'm, I'm I'm a real big believer in <clears throat> you know not creating you know treating children like they're riding on a ride at disney world in other words <clears throat> here you're at our school everybody gets on this you ride it around and then you get off and some kids have fast pass and some kids don't but at the end of the day everybody has the exact same experience when they go through school mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then i think in particular the millennial generation got sold a little bit of a bill of goods because then we taught all you guys that it, it was absolutely imperative that you go to college 
to be successful. And that's not necessarily true depending on what it is you want to be and what it is you want to do. Yeah. Right. And so now, you know, you've got all these people with massive college debt and then they come out of college and end up going and being a plumber. <laughs> and it turns out you didn't need to be a co- go to college to be a plumber or, or whatever. So well, it's not, it's, they're, they're not thinking of trade jobs. They're thinking that, you know, you have to go to college, you have to get a big degree. Like right. nobody's thinking of, oh, I could be an electrician. Like it's a great job, but right. they're not. Yeah, but they again, back in, the, back in, you know, uh, in Roman times when I was in high school, we had guidance counselors that did, a, I think, a more thorough job of kind of vetting what kids were apted from an aptitude perspective were, were able to do. And then we had what we called vocational technical schools or Votex. Mm-hmm. So what's now sort of the South Campus between CLC and the high school, that other building, mm-hmm. that used to be the Votech. Oh, okay. oh, so you would okay. go there and you would learn how to weld and you would go there and you, and you could do it in like high school too. They had like these um, um, like programs, extension programs where you could go do that and learn electronics and that kind of stuff. Well, they're kind of bringing it back. Yeah, I, I, I think it come back like, more. Yeah. But my idea is that the more activities that you have and the more um, versatility and diversity that you have in a curriculum, the more you have a chance for little Bobby or little Cindy as they're going through school to actually discover a hidden talent or passion that they may never, you know, it's like, otherwise in some way we're all sort of Amish. Right. Yeah. And, you know, some of us are lucky enough that um, I think of like Amy's kids where Amy was a dance teacher and they both happen to be extremely talented at dance and love to dance and love everything about dance. So that Mm -hmm. was like, you know, right place, right time. But imagine that kid growing up on a farm in Motley um, that loves to dance but never gets to because they're, you know, busy learning animal busy husbandry a- or, you know, <laughs> yeah. tractor repair or whatever, right? I mean, and there's right. nothing wrong with any of those, but we all have innate talent sets and some people are never lucky enough to get connected to them. Well, it's kind of like, like, Jesse's a great example of that. Like, he, like, I mean, he works, he's a dairy farmer. Right. But does theater. And he kind of stumbled on it in high school because they needed another male body. Is this really what it boiled Hey, fun fact, that was my first role. Isn't male body? <laughs> male body, yeah. I love that. <laughs> well, no, I get what you mean. But like, I also think like with, with like what Kevin said, it's like there's a very, I tell Jacob this all the time. I'm like, you're so, so lucky, lucky to yeah. have figured out exactly what you want to do and what your passion was like two years before you left high school. Yeah. And you got to vet so much of your time in high school with a dedicated mentor like Mr. Stubbs to really foster that and then get to get into a good, I mean, he's like testing out of like testing stuff already, already at school. And like he was in, he did the first week of this class and he went to the the professor and he was like, I don't really think I need to be here. And he <laughs> gave him like all this stuff and was like, all right, well just do this for me and do this for me. And he, he tends across the board and the guy was like, yeah, go go transfer out of this. There's no reason for you to even be a present at this right now. Like you're not going to get anything new out of this. You know, all of this. Yeah. Like I feel happy that like I look back on it and my parents really supported all of us kids being in the arts. Like both of my brothers played instruments. My little sister and I were in dance. I sang in the choir. Like she sang in the choir and they were always like, do the thing with like we, if you want to play sports, play sports. Like my brother was a football player and my little sister plays softball but they're they they were very much of yeah. You need to be a well-rounded person. Yeah, I'll give my I'll give my uh, my parents the credit of fostering it, 
whilst I was in high school. Yeah. Then I plead the fifth on anything after that. <laughs> I don't know. My parents have always been really supportive of it. But yeah. <clears throat> like my mom shoved us in like my little sister and I in dance when we were like three to just get us the hell out of the house because she's I mean, she had four kids under the age of five at one point in time. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> please go, please, please go, do. Um, yeah, it's, I, I, I think the other thing is now that's kind of neat is all these other things are less um, stigmatized mm-hmm. yeah. than they were in like the eighties and seventies. You know, I mean, it was kind of like sports were everything. Now I know if you're an artsy person, you still kind of see it that way, but the reality is it that that it isn't. I think there's as much pride in a community now when we have. Um, you know, successes in some of these other things. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you look at like the Staples High School, like speech is one of the only things that actually wins anything and brings home any trophies. I mean, they have a whole hallway of trophies. And the the football team has like a shelf. Except Knowledge Bowl. Those are still nerds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Knowledge Bowls are nerds. But like, well. (laughs) (laughs) I was in Knowledge Bowl. (laughs) That doesn't surprise me. Uh, Well, like Aiken too, for example. The dance the team, dance is, team is, is the it. only thing that brings home trophies. Dance team in one act. We got the most hardware That's up it. in there. <laughs> For a long time. To Crosby, too, right? They used to have the, like, a champion dance line and the kickstars from Brainerd were big for a yeah. number of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, this probably, the Ranger at Never mind, this was all from before you were born. We can move on now. What's no, the next, no, no. Question? <laughs> next question? So what intrigued you the most about getting involved with the school board? Why did you sit and make the decision? Like, what made you say, okay, I'm here. I have the time. Now is the right time to actually run this campaign and go in there and see if I can make a difference. What well, was so it was two things. Um, <clears throat> the original impetus was uh, a certain level of dissatisfaction with a, a particular member of the school board mm-hmm. made me sort of, and uh, you, you went out and about with me today. We heard a lot about that person today. Yeah, um, <laughs> sure did. <laughs> she does not have her own podcast. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that people started to talk to me about it because they were like, oh, you know, you have such diverse views and whatever, you should do whatever. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of not around a lot. I mean, I literally traveled almost every week. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it doesn't make sense. And then even when I came back last year and started to give it some serious consideration, I was like, uh, you know, I, can I give it everything that needs and what's involved in it? Mm-hmm. So I started to study up on it more. And then as I studied up on it more, I, I, I realized that there were a lot of, um, it, it's hard to phrase this properly, right? You, you look at the school board and it's um, six people mm-hmm. and five of the people that are on there have been on there for a minimum of eight years and four of them have been on there for a minimum of 12 years. So mm-hmm. they're an extremely seasoned bunch of people like our sour cream at lunch today. It's mm, delicious. Seasoned sour cream. It was good. Where did you get season Blackberry. We had the waffle fries with the seasoned sour cream. It was delicious. Ooh. Not going to lie. I peed a little. Yeah, it was real good. <laughs> um, it was real tasty. <laughs> so the original thing was more uh, out of a dissatisfaction. So I started to study the board and I started to study how they approach what they do and compared it to different boards that I come into contact with, which uh, are corporate boards. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, of course, government boards. So I work with a lot of um, state treasury boards where they set up these state savings programs. And it's really boring stuff. But what makes a school board really different from those other boards is those other boards, corporate board, they're appointed. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're put together by the people that own the company. Usually they're made up of mostly ownership, but then they'll bring in people like a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett or somebody to, you know, on the big boards. Yep. And then on a, on a state level board, like uh, the state treasurer or the governor or whatever appoints them. So when they do that, it's sort of like picking teams for dodgeball. 
they're able to go out and they're able to say, okay, I want the tall one and I want the fast one and I want the whatever. So you get this complimentary set of people. But when you have an elected board, you sort of just get what the voters send you. Okay. Right. So what the voters do in this area, I mean, you know, and most areas is they, everybody kind of gravitates towards the same kind of person. So you end up with, you know, like it's a sports analogy, probably the wrong show for it, but it's like a hockey team and it's like all goalies. Yeah. And they're really good goalies, but it's really hard to score when all six of them are packed yeah. into the net at the end of the ice down there. You can't really yeah. do much. And so, and there, and, and other than one uh, new member, Charles Blacklands, that got on two years ago, all those other ones are on there and they're all baby boomers. Now, I know I just triggered you two millennials with the boomers, <gasps> but. Yeah. Okay, boomer. I'm just no, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think it's us that's technically triggered by boomers. I think it's the generation after us. Really I mean, I'm waiting for some generational turnover. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, for some just civil right, justice. Do we have a? Like, is there is there a male Karen? Right? Because I think I, Richard. I heard, is it Richard? Because I heard Richard. somebody use Kevin one day, like Bree or whatever, and I'm like, nah, nah, nah. no, no. And no. she's like, it is what it is, bro. And I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's happen. not. No, so it's Richard. Well, yeah, so, because you can shorten it to dick. Exactly. <laughs> there is that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if I had to label that poor board right now, what I would say is it's 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 four Richards and a Karen. It's kind of ironic because the Karen's more like a Richard. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> <laughs> you must call her Mrs. Karen. <laughs> uh, so, it, it really, like I said, they're quality people, but they're, they're, what they're doing is they're operating under a very traditional board sort of philosophical methodology, which mm. is reactive and protective. So the idea is, you know, so I met with the superintendent a couple of weeks ago and she said to me, she's like, well, you know, the school board really only has three jobs. And I'm like, ooh, do tell. She's like, well, they hire the superintendent to run the district. They negotiate the labor contracts with the non-certified staff and the teachers and the administration. And then they run the fiscal and budgetary operations of the finances of the district. So I said to her, I said, with all due respect, I actually disagree. I think that used to be the board's function. I think the board now, when you're going to the, <clears throat> the taxpayer and asking for money all the time, needs to be sort of the example setter for how you know, free-flowing communications can occur, mm -hmm. setting up advisory committees like I was on one in a school district in San Jose where the school board formed the committee because they didn't have time to do it. So they formed this committee and we reported into them so we were like an extension. So a board member would come show up at our meetings like every second or third meeting. So they had their finger on the pulse, but they weren't, you know, they weren't we don't have that here. There, no. there really isn't much like that. Um, and we could do a better job of that. So I think it's, it's breaking down that kind of command and control thing. They're just not used to communicating. And then I think, you know, so when I said, when I was meeting with Lane Larson, she, I, she goes, I don't really understand. And I said, well, look at it this way. I mean, it, our current board is kind of like, um, I think it feels like it's maybe like the board of directors at Blockbuster Video or Kodak, you know, everything's fine. Nothing to see here, you know. <laughs> um, and those two companies didn't turn out well because they didn't, they didn't, adapt. they didn't think ahead and adapt to what was changing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, GameStop's another one that they already know what's going to happen to them, but they're not doing anything about it. They're just... You're not, in, they're just in, in five years, you don't need a physical location to go buy a video game. No. Mm -mm. And their their board has done nothing to plan ahead into that five-year thing, so their stock is like, you know, 11 cents. So it's, you know, I think school boards are falling into that trap all over the country, and so it's kind of my idea is to kind of be a ringleader uh, among a new group of people that kind of come in there but to play just one part, right? You don't want, so I was talking about six goalies, 
Now, I'm a center. I like to go score. Um, but you don't need six of me on the team either. Then, you know, you're basically just going to have a bunch of people slapping the puck down the ice. So you gotta, you got to mix it up and you got to have, you know, gas pedals and brake pedals. And, you know, I'm a gas pedal. If you have six gas pedals, you're going to wreck your car pretty quick. So uh, that's kind of what I want to do. I want to kind of challenge it. But I want to, I also think that no six people ever created can solve all the problems that a school district has. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the idea is to foster that, that those channels of communication. Cause right now it is, um, it's a it's, it's a bit of a cluster. Separated. Well, it's it's traditional. So what happens is the school boards, uh, school board most often only knows what the administration tells them. Okay. And the teachers only know what comes downstream because there's very little communication between the you know school boards up here, the administrations here, and then the you know teachers are down here, and then the communities over to the side. So what happens is the principals and the and the superintendent make all these decisions, and then they kind of tell the school board what they want the school board to hear. By the way, this happens in corporate America too. Yeah. yeah. The, the board's only shown what, what, what we want to show them, you know, the, and uh, as long as they'll, they'll always look at the financials first too. So it's there. It isn't as different as you think it is like a, 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 a municipal board or a school board. And then, so the teachers, so here's an example. Uh, over the summer, back in April, whenever right after the CARES Act passed Congress, the Brainerd School District got somewhere between eight hundred thousand and a million dollars for uh, preparing the school for the new school year for COVID, all things COVID, sanitizing stations, modifying bathrooms, um, modifying so the classrooms to be able to space, paying people to come in and get all the extra furniture out. Like I was in there uh, a couple of weeks ago, and like they they have all these trucks out front. I thought it was because of the construction, but it's really just all these guys going in and taking the furniture to offsite storage because they're only they only have like twelve desks in a classroom. Yeah, well, it's kind of like that at Forestview too. Like uh, my son's in fifth grade, and all the like pod chairs, like the desks, so they don't have lockers, you know, for sanitation reasons. Yep. <clears throat> but all the extra desks from all their rooms are just pushed into where the the locker spaces. The locker spaces, yeah. So part of this was they were supposed to put basically webcams in all of the classrooms so that if, you know, For let's say just learning. out of, yeah, just in case we had to lock a school down. I don't know when that might happen, but, you know, oh, maybe last week. But, <clears throat> right, so then you would be able to essentially <laughs> replicate the classroom, you know, so let's use... um Dave Borish is an example, right? So Dave has camera in his classroom, so his students aren't there. Or maybe Dave's at home, and the students are in the cl- in the classroom. Mm-hmm. But or however you do it. But every classroom was supposed to have a camera. It was budgeted for. So when I talk to school board members, they're like, "Yeah, we ordered them, but they ended up back ordered because uh, supply and demand. Because webcams obviously were, you know, once COVID hit in yeah. March. I mean, you, it, you couldn't you could not you you couldn't buy one." On, you could buy one on eBay for like $500. Mm-hmm. Then, so the school board, that's what they were told, or as best I can tell, that's what they were told. Um, what the teachers uh, are understanding is that the IT staff at the school had ordered the cameras and got one of the samples, the first ones that came in, and they didn't think the quality was good enough and the teachers wouldn't use them, so they canceled the order. And now I can't figure out which one's true because nobody has the right answer like so there's no communication and they had from when the schools were shut down in the end of march to to the tuesday after labor day yeah to figure that out and maybe in my mind maybe they couldn't solve it but at least they should have had their story 
straight on what was going on. Right. And then it like, it feels to me, it feels weird that not everybody had known what happened with it. Like that. Well, as a board member, that'd be the first question I would have asked. Yeah. I'd have been in there in the summer. I would have been walking around in the schools and I would have been going, okay, how's this going to look? What is this going to look like? How's this going to work? And then God forbid, maybe I would have called a group of 10 parents and had them come in and look, get a few conservative people that are concerned about the kids being home, get a group of people that are concerned about their safety if they're in school and, and have kind of an open dialogue about it so you can kind of get everybody's concerns on the table. To focus group it. Really. Yeah, 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 basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, because to me, the, the way you solve anything and how I've been able to build consensus um, everywhere I've worked is start start by looking for the win-win and then get to the tug of war later. If you start with the tug of war, you never even... You, everybody, everybody's defenses go up and you never even solve the little things. And, and an example I would give you, I was on jury duty about a year and a half ago and it was the same thing. So, you know, we're, we're locked in this room after all the evidence is presented. And, you know, this guy's got six felony counts against him. And no matter what, you know, we're, we're, I mean, we're, and it was like three strikes, you're out. This guy's going to go to prison for a really long time. So the implications are pretty harsh. So there's three people in the jury room that want to let him go because he's had a tough life don't even care what the evidence is. And there's two people in there that would like to give him the electric chair, or even though he only fled from police and had a firearm, he didn't like kill anybody or anything like that. So <clears throat> I'm like, okay, in, in, in Illinois at the time, it had to be unanimous. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to be here for the rest of my natural life. So basically I somehow ended up as the foreman on the jury thing. <laughs> And we were out of there in two and a half hours. <laughs> you had the 12 angry jurors that place and get that going. But how I solved the issue, and that's why I angled myself to be the foreman, was because I was like, all right, um, you're, you don't like these charges and you don't like these charges. Let's start with the easy ones, right? So we, we looked at the easy ones, and then from there, we were able to build a logical pathway to cause and effect. Okay, well, if this happened, then this couldn't have happened. So this, since this couldn't happen, that means that guy was lying. So mm. now we can take everything he does and then oh, you just okay. deconstruct it. And once you deconstruct it, everybody's minds can get around it. You know, because there's some key themes to building consensus. And one, the biggest theme to building consensus is that people will support something that they have a part in creating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So having an open dialogue and having an open ear to the community, whether that's formal or informal, um, the next time you have a referendum, if you've made the par- a partner of the community you know, then they're much more willing to step up and do things than if you will come up to them and basically like, it's like a, a, a robbery in a back alley. It's like, uh, school needs a new pool. You know, stick a gun into their, into their chin and what do they got to do? They, you know. Or, or what's her face from uh, Parks and Rec where she's just like the Saperstein's. Oh, yeah. Money, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because again, uh, Travis was out with me today. I mean, it, it's, it's really, really funny. I talked to probably 60 people today. And I would say 50 of them um, had some sort of gripe. And I would say of those 50, 45 of them weren't asking me to solve it. They just wanted me to listen. Mm-hmm. That's all they wanted me to do. And that's all they were looking for in a candidate. And I probably got 50 votes today just because of that. Because I just sat there and said, tell me about it. Period. <laughs> and that's hard for me because as you guys know, I'm not a great listener overall. I like to talk a little <laughs> But... That kind of listening is kind of fun. I, I you know, because it, it's, it's, you know, you're building this tapestry thread by thread of what the community looks like. And then, 
And that, that I think is the key to making sure that, you know, the tapestry has all the different colors in it. Yeah. yeah. And cause otherwise what ends up happening is you, you build this thing that's just engineered for somebody. And then I think that's where a lot of the divisiveness that happens at that kind of national level comes from. There's a whole bunch of other reasons for that, but it's really funny when I watched the candidates forum for like the congressional elections, they had to, they streamed it on uh, Wednesday night or Thursday night, Thursday night. And it was super congenial. Like you had Democrats and Republicans and they were polite to each other and nobody called ever anybody any names. And I was like, hey, look, human beings, this is cool. Yeah. Wouldn't that be such a novel concept? But I mean, it kind of goes back to those four cornerstones that you alluded to. I mean, really quickly, it's just, you know, they're, they're layered. So the first one is um, board transparency and accountability. Stop. If somebody on the board is doing something that's questionable, uh, today the board tries to solve it quietly. Right. I don't like that. I think it should be transparent. I think if one board member makes a Facebook post that's questionable and the community wants to come in and make public comment, you should open the door. They didn't when this happened back in June. They solved it behind closed doors. They probably came to the right conclusion, but mm -hmm. because they didn't let people come have their say, it sounds like they're not listening to anybody. And then the transparency thing is they just kind of breeze through everything because they worked together for so long and, you know, and they're so used to the public really not wanting to know much because they don't encourage the public to come in. Right. So the second cornerstone is community engagement. So once you become transparent and accountable, then you draw the community in and say, okay, we need you. Six people don't have all the answers. Yeah. And then after that, you have the board being more proactive. Now, boards can only be so proactive. Most of their job is the ball comes over the net and they've got to hit it back. Mm -hmm. you know. Um, but every now and then, thinking around the corner and thinking about what might hit you tomorrow, especially now we're in the, you know, arguably the biggest recession since uh, uh, the Depression. It's bigger than the Great Recession. If, you know, it's just a question of recovery and all of those kinds of things. And I don't think we want an economics lesson tonight, but... So, and then that leads to the fourth one. Once the boards become proactive, then you can start to build consensus because the board is transparent. You're talking to the community. You're reacting to what the community is and thinking ahead. Now you can basically go out and you can make, um, you know, so the concept I use is stone soup. Mm. Okay. You know the story? Yeah. So the board becomes the guy with the, with, <laughs> when we laughed about this at lunch, the pot and the rock which we thought was a bad analogy because people could think that was marijuana and crack. But <laughs> Broaden your horizons just for the sake of the example. I mean... I mean, it's not... It, I get it. it. I mean, given that... I don't want to... A cooking pot. Yeah. A cooking and a stone. Yes. So that's a little better. And so the, as the story goes, this guy, nobody would give him food until he took the stone and the pot, put some water in, started boiling it, and one by one people came up and added ingredients, uh -huh. and they ended up making the soup that then the whole village ate. And so that's, that's the idea, right? The idea is that by creating and building consensus, everybody puts an ingredient in and then we're back to, if you help create it, you're going to support it. Yeah. So that's, that's the fundamental way that I've got that all tied together. But it doesn't work if we only talk to the arts parents or if we only talk to the sports parents. I mean, it's, it's as simple as just that world. But now take that and think about that from a uh, curriculum standpoint. Think about that from a budgetary standpoint. Think about that through all of those different lenses. I mean, it's, it's, it's a complicated and it's messy because one off just talking to an individual, they're going to give you this list of demands yeah. and you can't possibly satisfy everybody's demands. Right. But if you communicate properly, you can, you can tell everybody they can get a little bit of what they want. It's this weird little word called compromise. What? Yeah. So anyway, that in a nutshell is why I chose to run for school board and kind of my, my cornerstone 
methodology behind the process. It's really kind of modernizing the thinking and becoming more nimble and agile in the approach to how we run the district so that it's, it's able to better leverage the resources that become available. And if more are needed, we've got a better communication channel to go justify it to the community to, to go dig in their pockets some more. Yeah. I mm, mean, that's awesome. People will be more willing to like hearing you like, I get it. Like hearing from a board where you're just like, well, it's going to, like you said, is it going to affect my taxes? Is it going to like, how, how, how is everything being paid for? Yep. Well, and people can be short-sighted. So you say, okay, the referendum cost $200 million and yes, everybody's taxes went way up for a period of time. Yeah. And now they want to do another municipal bond to do some other stuff that they need to do. Um, those are all well and good. <clears throat> what people don't understand that is it how is how a lot of people, not all people, you know who I'm talking to. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the certain people and some people think that uh, don't understand that the school is sort of the 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 beating heart of a of a community. So what happens is if the schools are great, um, more people come here. And by the way, if the schools are great, I talked to 10 people today who homeschool their kids. Uh, I talked to two people today that send their kids to Lake Region Christian School. I talked to two more people today who send their kids to Pequot Lakes. I talked to another one that sends their kid to Pillager. If we could get all those kids re-enrolled back in the school, the state funding that comes with them would would really allow us to do a lot more things. But, but they fled the school system because they just feel disenfranchised. As one of those parents who used to feel disenfranchised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I so, can concur. <laughs> yep. So it, it's, um, but so if the school's doing well, people come here. If people come here, housing prices go up. They're sort of doing that right now because of the low interest rates, but that's a holiday that's not going to last forever. No. Right. So eventually you need, if your vibrant schools are there. So if more people come here and the property values go up, more companies come here. There are companies that would come here, like a census, would, would hire more people here, but they've kind of topped out. They really... For the, the positions they need, they can't fill them here mm -hmm. um, because we don't have the right people because a lot of our kids leave the community. So it's this weird catch-22 where the people graduate from high school here, go to college, and then they stay away because yeah, there's nothing come to come back, back to. to. Yeah. Um, and then the companies don't come because these people aren't here. So we, you got to break that cycle somehow. And so uh, let's say more companies do come here. So you have more manufacturing, things like Klaus stamping, you know, those kinds of things that come here. Klaus has been here forever, but other ones like that. There's other like facilities like plastics and stuff that I are like, here I now. I think uh, like Lexington Manufacturing. And yeah, there's some, you know, yeah. it, it'll come here. So when they come here, guess what they do? They pay taxes. And when they pay taxes, they pay corporate taxes. And what that does is that drives down the residential taxes because the business is taken and shoulder more of the tax load. Mm -hmm. Don't buy into this federal... Uh, Thing where no corporations pay taxes. Uh, the big ones, the really big ones don't, but we don't have any of those here. The, the medium-sized corporations shoulder most of the tax burden for a community generally. So it really comes down to that, that sign of, it's like a circle of life where the school feeds into people coming here and then their home values go up and their property taxes go down because the businesses come here. So who doesn't want a house that's worth more with lower taxes on it? That's very true. So, it, and it's really important because I think most school boards are really good at engaging communities through the parents that have kids in the school. So, like, their messaging to you, Rachel, is really easy. Yeah. They come through, they come to you through Noah. But to somebody like uh, Paulson's or Travis or other people, you know, that messaging is a lot more difficult because they don't have a tangible personal experience. Yeah, they, or, the, you know, you don't have a vested interest. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I find that funny when I'm out talking to people, too. One of the first questions of, like, half of the people are like, well, do you have kids? Like, yeah, 
Are they in the schools? I'm like, yeah, but um, do you think all six board members have to have kids in the Brainerd school system? You know, that's like embedded in people's thinking that you have to have kids in the school system. I challenge that too. I think you certainly want to have several and I would like to see a couple of millennials on that school board. You know, um, I would love to see somebody like a Nick Corey on there. Um, mm -hmm. We'd have to balance him because, you know, Nick, Nick's, Nick's an aggressive thinker. Um, but he's exactly what we kind of need. He's going to push the envelope in a direction that I right. wouldn't be comfortable yeah. with. And that's exactly what we have to have. You have to have that tension. Um, mm -hmm. I need, you know, I need somebody like Nish, Nick to push me in directions because, um, you know, I drift out of my lane too. Right. So, well, and there's something to be said for, you know, doing that, but doing it in a, you know, an organized and professional manner. You know, like we see that a lot with the board, like even just like the small, like community theater boards that we're on, like, yeah. you know, Rachel and I are a part of one right now for an organization and we and kind of came in there and we're trying to incite a lot of this stuff to try to make them better and, and, you know, more organized and more efficient. And it's and one of those things though, where the, visibility the youngest people on the, on, on that, that board, board. And we're based with a lot of people are kind of throwing their hands up like, well, wait, we've always done it like this. And we're kind of like, well, that's yeah. not a good excuse for keeping doing it at all. Um, like, you, know what I mean? you, you want to do something fun? Yeah. Yeah. So I did this one time. <clears throat> Go like online, like on eBay or something, and for like four dollars, you can get like a, a circa 2002 flip phone. Mm -hmm. Take it to the next board meeting, and the next time somebody says, We've always done it this way, say, Well, here, I brought this to swap out for your cell phone or for your smartphone. <laughs> yeah, here, give me your iPhone if you want that. Yeah, here yeah. you go. Like, no, it's it's totally it is just like that, you know. And it, we, there's a struggle with it because they have limited means and we totally understand that, but it, we're, we're trying to find the balance of, okay, let's work with the limited means, but also bring up and update what we can as far as a visibility standpoint is concerned. So we can then hopefully gross a little bit more when we do stuff so that your means can grow a little bit yeah. and you can grow as an organization. Yeah. It's you kind know. of like, don't, underprice your talent yeah they ask questions like well, how does this other organization are they able to do three shows a year and they're these huge shows and it's like okay well they run them for more than four performances they actually have a space where they can do them you know they can they charge more than eight dollars for yep. you to go and see it like well and even what were know, the tickets for mama mia 12 18 15 15, yeah, 15. 15. Uh, like we could have charged you know i mean the black market was getting like 300 <laughs> yeah. Oh well, yeah, we had yeah. ticket scandal. Yeah, Ticketmaster was selling them for three fifty. But I mean, people are willing to pay that, especially if they know that part of it's essentially a donation. Well, it, and that was the thing too. I think Young Frankenstein. When we did Young Frankenstein, that was the most CLC in recent years. Anyway, had charged for a ticket was seventeen dollars a ticket. Yeah. And I remember thinking, "Ooh, that's expensive." Yeah. But we sold out. Well, it, but then it's People a slippery slope it. too, right? Because, yeah. and it's the same thing with activities now to kind of circle it back and tie the two conversations together to talk about the school district. I mean, we have, it's a really interesting thing because like, I've lived in like the deep south. I've lived in Louisiana and Appalachia and Tennessee, um, northern Georgia. And I've seen some poor communities in my travels and where I've lived. But this area is, um, you know, Cass County and Crow Wing County are economically challenged um, as economically a challenge as anywhere you're going to see in the country. It's really amazing how many economically disadvantaged people we have here. Right. So when you start doing that, then you're like, okay, did I just price, you know, a family from the Barrows or Northeast Brainerd out of seeing this show? Right. Yeah. So you want to look for those kind of equity programs, I think, where, you know, okay, you know, let, so the general person has, um, 
paying 20, let's say, let's say Hamilton. If you wanted to go see Hamilton in Chicago, you had to pay like $450 and they were letting school kids go in for free. Yeah. Or you had the lottery where people could win the lottery and get the tickets for like 80 bucks or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I'd like to see more of that. And then I think activities could kind of work the same way where, you know, the parents that have the means, I know it sounds like the dirty yes word socialism, but you know, a lot of school systems that are real successful with that kind of just wear that on their sleeve and say, listen, we have kids that can't afford to be in this program. Yeah. So let's say that's one out of every five kids. So if each one of you pays 20% more than you probably should pay, then a kid that can't, couldn't have done it otherwise gets to do it. Yeah. And you create that equity. Well, we've talked about a lot of like, you know, pay what you can nights for a show. Like every time you do a show, you take one night and you do a pay what you can night. You don't pre-sell any tickets, but people just know that that's the night. And just do it as two dress rehearsals too, or something like that where, you know. Right. You know, and you just get to come in and some people will pay. And what they've heard is that it really equals out about 90% of the time. Yeah. Because some people will only pay what they can, which may be a dollar or two. I mean, you're you're essentially your only real hard cost. Right. Let's say we'd extend Mamma Mia another week. So another, let's say, four performances or even six performances. Right. Your hard cost is the licensing, right, to, uh, mm-hmm. to Which the gets show. cheaper as you go on. Yeah. The more shows you do, the cheaper. Yeah. But I mean, you literally is. have a performance cost with that. Yeah. But you could wash that out pretty easy. Like you said, it probably, you know, because you get mm-hmm. buying power by doing more shows. But I mean, you know, I guess a little bit of electricity and whatever, but everybody else is a volunteer that's there. The actors are volunteers. Um, the directors and the the people that are doing all of the, the quote unquote sort of you know stipend type of positions or whatever are getting paid a lump sum. Right, it's a stipend no matter how long you do it. So yeah, and so you're not adding a lot of fixed cost to it. So why why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and the pay what you can thing is super appealing. Um, but I mean, we've brought it up to like three different organizations, and they've none of them have adopted it. Yeah, you know, it's everybody's worried about the slippery slope. Yeah, well, it's like uh, my son wants to play hockey. And what I found out this year, I don't know if it's going to be a thing because COVID. Anyway, um, he expressed an interest to play hockey. And I'm like, I have zero desire to go drop almost a grand on on equipment. I just, I I don't have that money lying around. Even if I did, I, I mean, that's... right. That's emergency money. Right. But um, I found out like the Brainerd Hockey Association has like a, like it's a free skate. They, if kids want to try hockey, they provide everything for that first yep. year. They'll yep. And I got to say that our, our, our little youth, youth sports programs in this town yeah. are really, really good. They want to give kids the opportunity to try yeah. that I mean, sport. they've got some really, mm-hmm. really, um, you know, some really compassionate people on those things that really yeah. understand the issue. Like I've been uh, having uh, talking to the bas- the Youth Basketball Association quite a bit. And I know a lot of people in our old neighborhood over on the other side of Baxter where uh, everybody was youth hockey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that is a, that is a uh, you know, that's sort of a, it's a village that takes care of its own. They, yeah. they do a really good job with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be cool if we could sponsor that sort of methodology in the arts. We kind of do it, but probably not within the school as much. No. But I mean, you want to like it's right. like I I love that idea that my kid is like mm, I kind of like the idea of it and I would like to try it, but like I know it's expensive. Mm-hmm. And I'm like oh, I know it's expensive and it's a time. I'm like I'm fine with the time commitment. Like I will. You want to play this sport? I will bring your butt there. That's fine. I will whatever you want to do. Like I I understand just being in theater, the importance of a time commitment. 
Right. Oh, right. But I mean, you know, fifth grade? Fifth grade, yeah. Fifth grade. He's fifth grade. Right? He could be Pavarotti. He could be Wayne Gretzky. He could be LeBron James. We don't know. Mm-hmm. We need to give him the sampler plate and find out what he likes. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's the ultimate goal, right? I think so, I'm an arts mom with a sports kid. Honestly, you know what? It happens to the best of us. It hasn't happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) He does love music and he's a little upset as a fifth grader. He can't be in band. That's a thing that he was upset about going into fifth grade that Hmm. he's like, there's no band in fifth grade. I'm like, what? (laughs) It was band all through. There was band when I was in fifth grade. That's what I thought too. And he's like, no, you don't, you don't get to play band until you're in sixth grade. Back then we, we, you know, art class was painting on cave walls, but we made do. Had to do what you had to do. You had to do what you had to do. But I remember thinking, God, like that fourth, fifth, and sixth grade mark is like where you want to put an instrument in a kid's hand. Like, yeah, especially as early if they're as possible interested. if they show an interest kind yeah. of a thing, for sure. So, I mean, enough of the Kev Marshall, like we talked about before. I mean, I think <laughs> what I would what I would stress people do is don't 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 listen to people like me. There's information out there. There's a you know. The recording of that Tuesday night on Tuesday night of that live uh, candidate forum will be out there. Go watch it. It'll be an hour long. Take an hour out of your life and figure out what your tax dollars are going to be treated like. Yeah. It's worth an hour. Don't listen to what I think. You know, I mean, well, you should listen to what I think, but I mean, listen, th- there are eight people running. Go learn what you can about some of them. Right. And, when- and, and so if you do, great. Pick the ones you like and vote for them. If you don't know anything about them, just vote for me. well like what we were talking about earlier we're like we're never gonna like we're not really political on this podcast but if we're gonna do a politics 101 is educate yourself yeah i think that's probably the final word to everybody here today is you know whether it be when you're deciding to look for somebody for school board or you're deciding you know and you know who you're gonna vote for for president just do your we would never tell anybody how to use their vote. Nope. We would just ask that one, you do use it and do your civic duty because people fought for many years for the right to be able to do so. So don't let that go to waste. Especially if you're a person of color. Correct. <laughs> or a woman. Or a woman. Or a woman person of color like Rachel. You get out there, you vote, girl. That's I important. I have been registered since I was 18 years old. That a girl. Old. <laughs> that a girl. But exactly. Do your do your research. Do your, you know, find out what what's important to you and what candidates best help you know, do you, do you see yourself in and do you see the most progress being made for your overall? I never, I never think one candidate isn't going to give you the answer to everything. No, that's never going to happen. It's going to be a... Look, I'm a gay man with some conservative views. I, I, I definitely have them, which, I mean, that'll baffle most people to hear that, but I do have some conservative type views for, on some things. But, you know, for the most part, I'm pretty left to center for everything, but... It is what it is. It is what it is. But if you want to find out more about our friend Kevin, you can go to www.boilsforschoolboard.com where he has put full transparency about who he is, what he stands for, what's important to him, and what his journey is in the Brainerd Lakes area and beyond right there for you to read up on and educate yourself on one of the candidates. It's a really great website, by the way. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Of time and care was put into that you can tell you can definitely tell those group chats were popping off when he started working <laughs> on that thing there was one of those i literally was like okay i gotta just turn this off for a you second <laughs> that was yeah. getting feisty real quick there was like no this no this no that no this and i'm like okay everybody just oh as we were discussing yeah, as we were discussing it, it and there was just there was some heated debate oh and I was like, like well like the whew. you can't put a picture of yourself in a suit 
Why not? But I look good in a suit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I look pretty. Yeah. I don't understand why. Like, what you want me to do? Wear a flannel shirt? You know, I'm like, I, I could go buy one, I guess. I like that it's a picture of you Is in a suit. Fleet, Fleet Farm open? <laughs> um, They're always open. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, well, it, you know, it's it's like if, ever, if anybody ever watched The West Wing, it's the let Bartlett be Bartlett, you know. Let, oh, yeah. Let, let, let Kevin be Kevin. Yeah. Exactly. And Kevin, he, you, know, you represent yourself with who you are, and that's what people want to see. I mean, you wouldn't, I wouldn't, like you say all the time, I wouldn't want to win that way. There's tons of different things that have, we've had discussions about. You're like, I don't want to win because of that. I don't want to be somebody that I'm not and trick people into voting for me just so I can win. You know, that's not. Uh, it's so tempting though. It is. It's tempting to it's run. People just, it it, 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 it breaks my heart a little bit when you go out and talk to people because they're just looking for somebody to shine a light somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, because I think we're all just so beat up from what comes down from on high. Um, yeah. And it's not even just especially because of the, the, the crazy, ultimate craziness of like Tuesday night, right? But all over the board, it's it's been like that for 20 years. And people are just worn out. Mm-hmm. And when somebody comes along and just says, hey, you know, put your feet up and let me just tell you a couple of things. And then they're just like, this is a pleasant conversation. And then what's really funny is you can introduce three things that they didn't agree with at the beginning of the conversation. And they're kind of like, yeah, okay, we could give that a try. Sure. Yeah. Because that's the other thing, you know, trial, nobody, nobody believes in the concept of trial and error anymore. Which is unfortunate. Everything's always got to be a home run. And it's like, you know what, innovation, the true innovation, innovative companies like Apple have a failure budget. Right. Oh, I've never thought about that. Mm Mm-hmm. But we grew up in that era like... Yeah, no, they go in, they go into every project knowing that 30% 30 (laughs) of what they do is going to fail. The, the trick to failure is to not continue, you know, don't, don't throw good money after bad money. Yeah. And then the other thing is it's like marching troops, you know. If, if you stand still, the enemy is going to find you and shoot you. Right. If you move, they can't find you. If, you. if you march, you might march the wrong direction, but be smart enough when somebody from the back comes up and goes, uh, sir. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so well, anyway, uh, that's, that's my take on it. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, I'm kind of hopeful we, we have an artsier reason to get together a little less serious and uh, a little less gravitas in our in our future uh, powwow here. I wanna, I'd want i like to tell more jokes. Yeah. No, we'll have you back on an actual, like, fun episode. Well, this yeah. is a fun episode because it's, it's very educational. But, like, you know, one of those goofy episodes. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Kinda We'll fluff. have you back for, like, a, mu- a movie musical Yeah, podcast. we'll do a movie musical episode with you on it. Yeah. We'll watch it here. And then we'll record We it. could do a table read of Miss Saigon. For, for Amy. <laughs> Bring the Kleenex. Kleenex, sponsor us. Uh, if you guys want to hear more I Can I Have Rehearsal, please go to www.icanaiheaverehearsalpodcast.com. You can stream all of our episodes there or download them for later listening. We are also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and now Google Podcasts, which we have the ownership of. We just found it the other day. So if you're a Google Pixel user or any other Android person and you're not a Spotify guy, but you want a dedicated podcast app, go hit up Google Podcasts. It's yeah. a platform. It's out there. It's a thing. And since we don't have anything for Producers Corner, we'll say again, please, please, please make sure to rate, like, and subscribe and comment so I have something to do in Producers Corner so I can comment on your comments. She's been saying that for a year and y'all don't really deliver. So listener challenge. When this episode comes out, go out there. We want like 10 new ratings and three new comments. And they can be anywhere. They can be on Facebook. They can be on Apple Podcasts. They can be... 
on the website directly. Mm-hmm. We get you, notifications everywhere for you, it. You've got plenty of platforms to leave your comment. You can even send us an email. If you'd like. Fill out that contact form. Yeah. You can also go to our merch store. Any merchandise that is sold between now and Broadway reopening, all of the proceeds from our merch sales are going directly to the Actors Fund to help actors in need during this time of pandemia. So please go out and if you're, you know, if you're somebody like we talked about with Amy, if you watch a lot of bootlegs and you feel guilty about that, go buy a t-shirt and we'll make sure your money get over to the Actors Fund real quick. Yes. Okay? Yes, yes, yes. And more importantly, go vote. Yes. Final theme for this day. We're not even going to sing goodbye because I don't even think it's appropriate right now. But we'll go out there and vote. We'll tell you to vote. On November 3rd. Be educated. And vote early vote. if you can. <laughs> Be safe. Minnesota is one of those states that you can vote early. So you can go to your local You can vote right now. Vote right now. I approached a house today that had a sign in it that said, no soliciting. I have voted. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just like did the backup walk. Like, okay, don't knock on that door. Got it. All right, you guys, until next time, goodbye. I Can't, I Have Rehearsal, a podcast for the creative visionary. Born from the imagination of Travis Shapu. Edited and produced by Rachel Klein. Brought to you in part by Squarespace. And scene.